name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Once there was a story of two sisters who lived together. Kelly saw her sister in the kitchen and asked what she was doing. Katie replied and said, oh, I need an orange. Well, Kelly laughed and said, hey, me too. Unfortunately, upon looking in the fruit basket, both sisters saw only one orange. They were not laughing anymore. What should we do? asked Katie. Kelly quickly responded, well, let's, let's split it in half. And so they agreed. Seems like a good negotiation, right? But was it? Later that day, Kelly, now curious, asked Katie, why did you need an orange? Katie said, well, I wasn't feeling well, and I wanted to make some juice and get the vitamin C. Oh, said Kelly. I didn't know. Why, why did you need it, asked Katie. Well, Kelly replied, well, I was baking, and I needed the rind. Oh, oh, said Katie. And once again, they started laughing because they realized if they simply found out why they needed the orange, they would both have had exactly what they needed instead of splitting it. Now, in negotiations, we often focus on a person's position, such things as the price of something or their yes or no. But what we don't often do is focus on the interests behind their position or why they want what they want. Now, to do this, we have to become curious. And instead of stating what we want, inquire and ask about what they say they want and why they want it. Why we want something is always stronger than what we actually want. Our motivations is usually hidden in our position to what we offer people or as a starting point, not a point of fact. And of course, we can remain prideful and hold fast to what we want, and we just might win that one-time negotiation. Then again, we may end up with half an orange when we could have had the whole thing. This morning, we're going to be talking about our responsibility as Christians in preserving peace and unity within the body. We have been going through what it means to be a church the past few Wednesdays with our students, and since Jimmy is not here this morning, I thought it'd be good for you guys to sort of hear what uh, they've been learning. And so um, this, uh, last night I got a call from, uh, or a text from Jimmy. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm sick. I might not be there in the morning. I was like, okay, well, I wasn't able to finish this lesson for the students. I was like, oh, I'll bring it to the congregation. We talked about unity before this past few sermons that Jimmy said. Um, and so I th- thought it was good to, to go ahead and bring this up. So let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I'll be reading from the CSB. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And 
the question is, why would Paul be so concerned about helping the believers in the church of Ephesus focus on peace and unity? I mean, it's, most churches are pretty peaceful and united, right? No, we, we usually aren't. But for them, Paul knew that they probably struggled with pride. And he was a man at one time, he traveled from town to town persecuting Christians, and he seemed very proud of it. It was in that humble moment on the road to Damascus that God changed his heart. And so he knew what it's like to be prideful. He knew what it's like to say, hey, I'm right, I know what to do. Paul later, um, went, uh, in his missionary travels, he was able to witness to Gentiles. And, and in this church, he had, there was a mix of Gentiles and Jews. So there would have been probably arguments about different ways of doing things, steeped in the Jewish tradition or having no Jewish tradition whatsoever. And, and saying, you know, how do we keep unity? How, do we, how are we peaceful in all this? So the reason we're going to talk about this is um, uh, the reason why we, we go through Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is to look at how the Spirit keeps us in unity, keeps us focused on His desire. And just to, to pull out quickly um, the different ones that keep us together, verses 4 through 6, um, we have the, the one body, which is the church. We have the one spirit. We have the one hope. We have the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. And this is the picture that Paul is sort of forming for the church. We need to be one. And sometimes our desires on what we want can override the desires of the Spirit. And so we have to keep ourselves to being in check with what it means to live worthy of the calling to what he's called us to. If we are going to walk worthy of our calling, unity is a must. And as we continue in this lesson this morning, I'm going to talk about how to scripturally preserve peace and unity within the church and how to confront sin and our broken relationships. How to have peace and unity within the church and how to confront sin and our broken relationship. So the first point is, do we walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Because we've been called to a great thing. We've been called to the body of believers to be the church, to be one. Second one is, do we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit? Do we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit? Ephesians 4, 2-3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This passage of Scripture calls us all uh, to have the job of preserving peace. Preserving not our peace, not this person's peace, not your peace, the unity of the Spirit's peace. I, I had a friend who, um, many years ago, his wife pulled him aside um, from, uh, after she got off work and said, we need to have a talk. So he said, okay, honey, you're a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you are really good at keeping things peaceful, but not making peace in everyone's heart. And yes, we are supposed to keep peace with one another, but the peace that we're focusing on is the peace 
of the Spirit, not our own individual desires and what we want, not the unity that we think is right, because that unity can be skewed if we're not being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is one of those things where we have to continually ask God, what direction are you leading us? Not what direction do I want to go or anyone else wants to go. Because we can fight over those things very easily. We can say, hey, I, I, I want my way over here, but I feel the Spirit's leading me in this. And you're saying, well, I want my way over here. I feel the Spirit's leading me in this. It, but it's us coming together and saying, Christ, what, what are you wanting us to do in all this? And so I'm going to talk about just the few things that are laid out here about how to keep that peace, how to allow Christ to be the focus of what we need to do. So first of all, we need to keep the peace with a lowliness or humility. Now, humility is the quality of being without pride, having a proper view of self and That's not always the easiest thing to do because we are prideful people. We like to look at ourselves as being good. I mean, when I think of something logically, it makes sense, I'm going to go for it. It's so hard to take someone else's advice. Last night, my wife and I were going over this lesson and I was just like typing a few things here and she would say, hey, why don't you do this? And why don't you put this in there? And I'm like, like, um... Yeah, maybe. Hold on. Let me, let, me, let me just write down what I'm putting here, and we'll talk about it later. And, and during that, I was thinking, wow, I'm talking about humility, but in the midst of even writing this, I don't know if I want to take my wife's advice. And she was really passionate about it. She was, like, excited about this, like, this last-minute thing. And I, and I was, like, sitting there, like, wow. Okay, let me finish this, and we'll go back. And, and she helped me with, with some of these, but um, I was not wanting to, but choosing to humble myself so that the unity that even my wife and I had in that moment would be true. It's hard for for us to humble ourselves. And even listening to the person next to us, it takes the unity of the Spirit to do that. The next one is with gentleness. Gentleness is the opposite of self-promotion and self-assertiveness. Gentleness is a a sympathetic kindness, a spirit of fairness, and compassion. A gentle person is one who has his or her emotions under control. And there are many times, even with my own wife, where I don't have my emotions under control and I want what I want to be said to be heard by her. I know we all have those moments where we want the other person to listen to us and just we can get it out of our mouths and just if you at least hear it, you'll do what I want you to do or you'll think how I want you to think. And here Paul's writing saying, no, 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 we have to have humility and have gentleness. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my, my dad was coming in town and it was late at night and, and my wife was like, okay, I, I got to get the house clean. I got to clean this room. I got to clean that room. I got work to do, all that stuff. And it's like, Michael, you just need to go to bed because you're, you're tired. And I'm like, no, no, I want to stay up and help you. And she's like, no, you just need to go to bed. You're tired. I'm going to clean. You don't clean like I do, okay? And I was like, I, I, I knew that my wife was going to be exhausted. And in that moment, I could have been like, no, I'm going to stay up, and you are going to do this, and I'm going to do that, okay? That's just how it's going to be. And in that moment, the Spirit led me to, to speak, honey, I love you very much. But if we decide to sit here 
or if you decide to do this work by yourself, you'll probably be up all night long. And so, honey, I'm going to go clean Libby's room. Okay, I'm going to go do that. She's like, no, 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 no. No, no, yeah, yeah, I'll go clean. No, but you won't do it. Like, it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. My dad's coming in. He'll be fine with it. No, no, okay. okay. Honey, I'm going to clean Libby's room, and we'll leave the other room for tomorrow. He says, no, no. I was like, yes, it'll be fine. And so as I sat there, I put my arms around her. I was like, honey, I love you, please. And I was trying to be as gentle as possible. She's like, okay, okay. And it worked out fine. It worked out great. I cleaned Libby's room, probably not too exactly what Kelly wanted, but I cleaned it. I tried my best. And um, we left the other room for the morning, and Kelly went and did some work, and we got to bed at a decent time. But it took me saying, okay, how to love my wife through this instead of just push what I want to happen. Or, sh- or even... Uh, allowing the other side, you know, my wife, she was trying to be gentle, but she's like, I want my, we have conflicting wills at times. We have conflicting ways of looking at things. And so unity also starts with us choosing to be gentle and caring toward the people that we're talking to. It's not easy, especially when we're annoyed or when we have things that are just deep within us. It's stopping our emotions. Sometimes it's just separating ourselves from the, the equation for a little bit to calm down. Sometimes it takes that too. Um, but Paul's writing that we should be humble and gentle. And the last thing he says is that we should have long-suffering, bear with one another in love. Now, this sounds like patience. And patience isn't, uh, is to bear with other people, to be long-tempered. And when we're wrong, the patient person does not retaliate. The patient person recognizes the difference that, differences that they have with the person or the quirks of others, but chooses not to allow those differences to be the focus or the cause of tension. This long-suffering term is especially helpful when you think about your relationship to other believers in the church. The moment someone says, I, w- I want to do this, and the first thing you think is like, no, 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 no. I, 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 I think you're wrong in this, so I'm going to correct this. Or when someone does something odd or sort of weird, and you're like, should I say something to that person? Should I tell them that's not what they're supposed to be doing? And I'm not talking about sins. That, that's a whole, we're going to get to that a little bit later. But just little quirks. We all have little quirks. Maybe it's the way someone talks or soup, uh, sips their soup. I had a friend of mine where he would be so annoyed at me because the way that I ate my cereal. He's like, Michael, stop it. I'm like, what? I didn't do anything. He's like, you're, you're just eating your cereal so loud. I'm like, okay, I'll try. And I, I would just take the um, cereal up into my mouth. I was like, put it back down. It, it just would never, I, I could never do it. It, it was, he just got so upset at me. And, but in, in those things that tick us off, from each person, those things that bug us, we are called to bear with one another in love. It is to the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Because sometimes we offend each other without knowing it. And I probably have offended a lot of people here without knowing it. I've, the longer I am here and the more I hear things, people come to me and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I did not know I did that. That was the, that was the first Sunday I was here. And I, okay, I, you know, and they're not mad about it most of the time. And I'm just like, okay, I'm sorry. 
I mean, who here gets offended just by someone doing something? Got like five hands, you know. <laughs> I'm offended by that. No, I'm just sure. I mean, we all can get offended, but we're supposed to bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. Our love for one another should be the driving force as we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Paul seems to help us here by mentioning peace as the binding agent, as the bond. Now that we have covered the importance of keeping the unity, we're um, keeping, we're going to keep going with unity. And let's, so let's hit on the topic of confronting issues or sin that might pop up in our relationships or in our church. And before we do, let's remember that the truths that we just discussed in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 must inform our approach to the confrontation of sin. Not just confronting it, but doing it in what we just talked about in those ways. So true or false, people in the church are going to sin. True? True, right? Okay. True or false, uh, you may be the person who needs to be confronted. True or false? True, right? Because we're all sinners. We all have propensity to sin. We can all decide to do that. True or false, sin causes tension and can make unity difficult. True, right? True or false, Confronting sin is not easy. True, right? So even though it's hard, as the body of Christ, we must deal with sin. Confront and correct sin in your broken relationships. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. For this part of the sermon, um, we're going going to be going over to what Christ says about judgment and about how we can offend a person and what we should do in the midst of that. So let's read Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister, will be subject to the court. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So in this passage, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, and his message has been called the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably read the rest of it. He's trying to teach the people that although one of the Ten Commandments is you shall not murder, murder truly begins in the heart. And by the way, um, the word fool that he talks about, if you call a person a fool, that word is raka in Greek. And it means calling someone empty-headed or an airhead or a good-for-nothing person, just in case you were wondering what exactly when you call someone a fool um, I know when I was a kid, I was really scared to call someone a fool because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to hell. My, my mom would say, don't say that. I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, every once in a while I would say, I was like, can I not take that back? I'm so sorry. Um, but then Jesus goes on in this passage and gives us two illustrations about anger. One is that we'll look, uh, we'll look at that one quickly, but um, it's involving worship at the temple. And the other is about talking about legal actions. So let's look at the first illustration that Jesus gives. 
uh, verse 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So you see, Jesus was trying to touch their hearts. Ritual worship was very important to the scribes and the Pharisees and to all the Jews. So Jesus was teaching them internal purity first. Internal purity first. And that even meant the internal purity of another person. Notice the priority Jesus places on being reconciled with others in verse 24. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Which took priority, the worship or dealing with sin? The sin. Correcting the situation or reconciliation is more important than worship in that it must come first. So let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever thought about how your broken relationship with your brothers or sisters in Christ impacts your worship or relationship with God? Let me say that again. Have have any of you ever thought about how your broken relationships with your brothers or sisters in Christ impacts your worship or relationship with God? I can tell you that I too have had times of broken relationships It affected the way that I thought, the things that were going on, even in the times where I come before the Lord and sing praises to Him, where I pray to Him, where I I do works for God because I love Him. All those things can distract us, can be between us and God. So it's important that we get our hearts right before we truly worship God. And worship isn't just songs. Worship isn't just coming and praying. Worship is everything that we do that gives God glory. Everything that we do. And some people will say, well, if I come to church, i got to make sure I pray before God. It's you waking up in the morning and you reconciling with a brother before you go out and serve someone or you go out and care for someone else. That's our worship, obedience to God. So let me ask you a question. Sorry, (laughs) lost my place. Um, So if you ever come to church with an angry attitude in your heart, it's hard to worship Because unity starts with you and me dealing with sin. No matter what's going on in our lives, we need to deal with the sin. Now let's turn a little further into the book of Matthew and look at Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. And most of you have seen this one. Probably you've seen the skits um, that people do. I I was at a conference when I was 14 or 15. And this is the one about the, the plank in the person's eye. And this guy, was, he, he was turned around like this. And you couldn't see what was in his eye. And uh, this one guy, he's like uh, coming over. And he's turned around, he's like this. And he has this plank that's all the way out there. I'm like, oh my goodness. And he's like, hey, dude, look, what is that? And they talk about, they did the whole, they reenacted this whole thing. But let's read it. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but not notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. It is very important that we remember the first virtue that we talked about. Humility. In this passage, Jesus reminded his listeners and us not 
to be hypocritical in judging another person's issues when our own issue could be just as big as theirs or bigger. The follower of Christ is to be critical of his or, or her own heart first. The church is to be recognized for their bond of unity and not their criticism of each other. It is fitting that Jesus said this since his kingdom is often characterized by peace. And so not only does unity start with you and me dealing with sin, it starts with you and me dealing with our sin. Dealing with our sin. So, now the question is, how? Even if we have the right attitude and the right approach, keeping unity and confronting sin is difficult. It's not something we like to do. Most people, I'm just going to go over here and God will, God will work on that. That'll be fine, right? No. Um, I have sort of a, a three-point tool that I want to share with you guys. Um, and it's to help with conflict resolution. It's called the OIC method. You get it? OIC? All right. Um, the first one is O, is for observation. Here is what I have observed in this relationship or this situation. This is what I see. This is the way I see it. The second one is I. I is for interpretation. Here is how I interpret what is going on and what has been said. And C is for clarification. Can you help me clarify the situation from your point of view? And that's a hard one. Because most of the time, we don't want clarification. We just want our point of view to be told to a person. Or we want our point of view to be what it is. By stating what you have observed, you are sharing your perspective. When you share the interpretation, you are sharing how your perspective, perspective impacted your understanding. And when you ask for, for clarification, you admit that your understanding may not have been correct and that you are seeking to build unity. You're humbling yourself. Many times, once you've walked through this little method, you and the other individual will walk away thinking, oh, I see. I see what's going on. It's important to understand a simple OIC method is not the answer to all conflict or cure-all to endeavor to keep the unity. Now, as we ask for a little more understanding, many times it will relieve the conflict and build unity. When we fight, it is a symptom of something bigger going on inside of us. God needs to bring us to the point of being in step with the Spirit. It is His unity that we are striving to keep and not our own. Our own unity stems from our own selfish desires, but the unity of the Spirit is motivated by Christ and it is furthering His kingdom. And so this method could help with that. It could help us look into the real reasons of what's going on and to correct those. Because unity starts with you and me. No matter if we like it or not, it starts with you and me. So after looking at Scripture this morning and seeing what God's Word tells us about this, I hope you can see that Christ loves the church and wants to see it grow and mature. Peace and unity are so important in the areas of life, at work, in the home, pretty much anywhere and everywhere. Don't you think that above all else, we should have peace and unity in the church family? 
We absolutely should, and it starts with you and me. It's interesting to look at the illustration from uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Maybe Jesus talked this way because it's easier to remember a situation in which someone's offended you. We can easily remember that. Um, rather than when we've offended someone else. Sometimes we don't even know until much later that we've offended someone else. And we need to be sensitive to the Spirit when we offend someone else so that we can make things right and keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I'm not saying you should go around and be hypersensitive to every little thing that happens, but we need to keep step with the Spirit because we want to keep peace. We want to make peace in everything that we do. And it's not one of those things that we enjoy doing. So we need to be led by the Spirit um, and ask Him to, to guide us. So, this morning, make the decision to quickly deal with the conflict when it arises. And if you're already aware of a situation, purpose to deal with it this week. Remember, unity starts with you and me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want us to take a few seconds just to reflect on how we handle situations. Do you see an area in your life where you can take steps to strive for unity in your relationships? Will you talk to God right now and ask him to help you have the attitude of unity? If so, will you confess your area of weakness and ask God to help you have the proper attitude? Maybe you need his help to be humble and gentle or more long-suffering. Will you talk to him now and, and ask him to help you strive for unity? Maybe you need to commit to simply using the OIC method as a way to, to deal with sin and tension. Or will you take some time to talk to God about your part in maintaining unity? Let's take a moment and just ask God to reveal the things in our lives. God, help us to be one, to have the same focus, to have the same purpose as the Spirit, not our own individual ones, but as what you desire. Help us to be humble, gentle, bearing with one another in love, so that we can see your kingdom here on this earth, so that people can look at us and glorify you. I'm so thankful that you gave us the spirit to be in unity. Lord, if we can't think of anything right now, throughout this week, help us to have those things revealed in our hearts. May your spirit just bring those out so that we can deal with them, we can look at them, we can be one in you. Help us to push aside this, the small things, that, the bitterness, the, the things that just entangle us. Push those aside and just be one with you. One body, one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. 
If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.